Who even thinks like this? The world avoided something like 1929-1930 last month. Therefore, we must be completely out of it and on our way into recovery. Everything's fine and dandy. There's nothing wrong anymore. There are so many misconceptions about what a crisis is. A monetary crisis, a financial crisis, a banking crisis, and eventually an economic crisis. Those misconceptions have to do with how they work, how they happen, how they come about. They never go in a straight line. It's not like somebody flips a switch. It's not like everything is fine one day, tremendous panic shows up out of nowhere, and then it all, all the bad scenarios are piled in to a few, a few very short days, maybe weeks, or perhaps months at most. Even the 2008 crisis was a multi-year, multi-year process. It wasn't all in September and October 2008. There were ebbs and flows, fits and starts, all the way up through to the end. And every time we'd go through these fits and starts, people would say, oh, that seems to be it. We must have avoided the worst possible case. That was never true because once the crisis begins, balance of probabilities, it takes something drastic to get out of it, drastically positive to get out of it. And the Federal Reserve wants you to believe it is the drastically positive thing that will get us all out of the crisis when time and time again, we see that the Fed is just blowing smoke. So here we are in toward the end of April 2023, more than a month since all of the bad stuff last month and people are losing interest in the banking crisis, yet we continue to get warning signs as well as a a lot of alarming data that shows this crisis isn't over because of course it wasn't over. There is more yet to come. What happened last month wasn't the thing. It was at best the first stage of the thing. And as we continue to go on, even mainstream sources, mainstream like Bloomberg, they continue to tell us about, hey, look over there, that doesn't look right. And then we get data from the Federal Reserve that's, that shows this is why it doesn't look right. The lessons of Bear Stearns mean the crisis is still going and the economy is still in danger of deflationary money. Just to review, deflationary money is the interruption in the circulation of money and credit. Of course, money and credit nowadays is hardly distinguishable, but something that interrupts or impedes the free flow of money and credit in the real economy. And that's what we're going to see today. And eventually, Deflationary money can risks becoming deflationary economy, which isn't really necessarily about falling prices as much as so much as it is rapidly falling employment. So deflationary money, how crisis work, all of that. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you are interested, we have memberships available at the Eurodollar University website where we go over all the background details of the monetary system, what money and credit and all these things, how they actually evolved into the state that we find them today, ledger money, virtual currency, all that kind of stuff. I also have research subscriptions for you, a daily briefing I do in partnership with marketsinsiderpro.com. That's Tracy Shukart and Mr. Stephen Van Meter, as well as a deep dive analysis at the Eurodollar University website, where every day we dive deep into these sorts of details because Instead, what you get is the idea that last month was a singular one-off when all the signs told you that it was coming and all the same signs are telling you there is more yet to come. All the information about memberships and research subscriptions are available at our website, conveniently located at eurodollar.university. 
So on Friday, Bloomberg comes out with this article that says, Ooh, boy, I know the Fed, the Fed has said, you know, we want this to happen. Everything seems to be okay, but we're really starting to see some things that are making us scratch our head a little bit. Maybe getting a little bit nervous, a little bit of sweat, there's beads of sweat coming down policymakers and the media, mainstream media's forehead here. Uh, the subhead of the article, I mean, <laughs> it pretty much tells you all you need to know. There are worrisome signs of corporate distress in the wake of the banking crisis, raising the specter that a, pull bank, a pullback in lending will drag down the economy. Of course, that is the credit crunch, which is a direct consequence of the monetary breakdown, deflationary money. That is how deflationary money becomes the deflationary economy. And here's Bloomberg, never one to sort of, never one to really play up the downside risk. Instead, most times playing down the downside risk, having to admit that, yeah, our contacts, our people we talk to, they see some of these warning. Well, what are they seeing? A month after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, the U.S. appears to have avoided the worst case scenario, a rapidly escalating financial crisis and markets have rebounded. And yet just below the surface, signs are mounting that credit is drying up in pockets of the economy at a worrisome rate. So there it is, both parts of what I'm talking about, what I started at the open here. The misconception about the crisis, that if the world didn't end in the middle of March with Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse, then that's the end of the crisis. Thank you, Jay Powell, you are, you're masterful at your job. The, the central bank, Walter Badgett would have been enormously proud, as would Paul Volcker and Ben Bernanke and Alan Greenspan and everybody else, that March was the fullest extent of the crisis. But wait a minute, what's this stuff over here? This seems to be fallout. Because crises never go in a straight line. It's never just all at once piling onto the system and then it's over, the worst case scenario. No, that's not how these things work. We have these things, we saw this coming all last year where we have the major events, just because they were overseas, most people didn't associate it with the monetary system, but still, we had major disruptions last year, in particular September and October, then everything seemed to be just fine and dandy until the end of the year. But the markets told us it wasn't fine and dandy, that there was stuff going on underneath the surface that was leaving everything vulnerable to continued setbacks. And actually not just leaving us vulnerable to continued setbacks, leading us in the direction of continued setbacks. So when March happened, that was just the next stage in the crisis. It was the announcement that the crisis had be, had reached a much, much uh, more difficult, much more destructive, potentially destructive phase than it had been before. Plus it became more obvious and more difficult to say yeah, we don't really know what's going on here. It doesn't seem to be something we should worry about. When Silicon Valley Bank and Signature and then Credit Suisse, we got banks all over the world, suddenly they're failing all at the same time. Again, these it wasn't the crisis itself. that was. Those were all symptoms of the problem that continues to move in the same direction. Deflationary money, something is interrupting and impeding the free flow of what we call money today, which are really just bank liabilities and bank uh, bank stuff that gets bank resources and balance sheet uh, transactions, they get traded about all over the world. So we have the 21st century version of a bank banking crisis, which a lot of similarities to 2008 too, including as Donald Cohn, FOMC, I think he was a regional governor or board governor back in uh, September 2007, acknowledged 
As is typical in a financial crisis or panic, people have fled toward liquidity and safety and treasury bills and overnight lending and the normal arbitrage that happens across markets just isn't happening. Because after the initial crisis hit in August of 2007, it it created all sorts of consequences, all sorts of collateral damage, pun intended, where the system had to adjust to this to this this event that happened. And as those adjustments take place, they become very pro-cyclical. Pro-cyclical in the monetary system, pro-cyclical in credit, therefore becoming pro-cyclical in the economy, which means as things get worse, it tends to make things worse. As Cohn continued in June of 2008, every couple months I thought it was about to be over, And then another wave would come because it was never over after these individual waves. They come in waves, they come in stages, and we can see the incremental process after every stage. But the the problem for the public is after every one of those waves, after every one of those stages, the media comes on and policymakers come on. Everybody says it's over. Everything's fine now. The world didn't end with Bear Stearns. So obviously we fixed the problem. And then boom, something else would happen. Remember, it wasn't too long ago that the chief economist for the IMF made the same observation. He said, we can all remember the long time between the failure of individual institutions, whether it was Bear Stearns or Countrywide, every time it was treated as an isolated incident until it wasn't. No, it was never an isolated incident. So there was no until it wasn't. It was, it was taken to be isolated incidences in the mainstream media in particular, by economists, by Federal Reserve officials who, te- who said, oh, that stuff in 2000, subprime is contained. Oh, more stuff happened. Well, that's just a one-off. Bear Stearns failed. No, that's just Bear Stearns. We fixed that. And then more and more continued to happen. But it's beginning to spill over into the real economy. Deflationary money is beginning already to become the deflationary economy. So much so that even a mainstream outlet like Bloomberg has to publish the following. Small businesses say it hasn't been this difficult to borrow in a decade. The amount of corporate debt trading at distressed levels has surged about 300% over the past year, effectively locking a growing swath of businesses out of financial markets. Bond and loan defaults have ticked up, and the Federal Reserve says banks have tightened lending standards. Corporate bankruptcies are on the rise, too, particularly in the construction and retail industries. Notice also what they said here. They're admitting that this is not just in March. It's sort of been slowly building and slowly rising so that when March happened, it became too difficult to continue to ignore because it was it, once March did happen, all of these bad pro-cyclical deflationary money symptoms accelerated and then some. But of course, Bloomberg is going to Bloomberg here. We know they're going to. So they're going to say this is somewhat by design. They actually say that some of this is, of course, by design. The result of Fed Chair Jerome Powell's rapid shift away from the the easy money policies of the pandemic. And none of the signals are cause for alarm on its own. You're right. These signals on their own would never be a cause for alarm, but they are not on their own. We were warned this was going to happen. We were, and the very agents, the very curves that we follow that had warned us told us these are signals for worse yet to come because the progression continues in the direction that markets have predicted and forecast. Bloomberg is now just catching up to where markets were a year ago. So they say 
these signals on their own are not cause for alarm because they don't realize that the alarms were raised long time ago. And this, what's happening now is merely confirmation of what had been predicted and forecast and feared. We got more data along those lines from the Federal Reserve on Friday, the H8 release, which is the balance sheet, the aggregated balance sheet of the commercial banking system just in the United States. So keep that in mind. We're only talking about U.S. banks here. So from what we see from U.S. banks, we can also infer, reasonably infer, that there's probably the similar amounts of trouble at banks around the rest of the world, particularly in the offshore Eurodollar sense. Now, what we had from the HA data was historic levels of interruption in bank credit, literally bank credit, that's what it's titled, in the H8 data, in the wake of SVB, and especially Credit Suisse, more so Credit Suisse than SVB. That's when you really saw the disruption in bank credit, historic levels of drops in bank credit the final two weeks in March. So we got the March bottleneck, we got the banking crisis, deflationary money, and then after SVB and Credit Suisse, banks, the whole system, that's when it really started to adjust. Not a good sign there. First week in April, we saw, we had a we had a little bit of a comeback. Bank credit rose a little bit. It went up 41.2 billion. But then last week, or the week before, yeah, we're, we're, we're further week in arrears here. Uh, bank credit fell by 22.7 billion. So it rebounded and then it started to fall yet again. And cumulatively, since the week of March 15th, so really after Credit Suisse and forward. Bank credit in the United States is still down by $292.5 billion. That's an enormous amount. Now, some of that, some of that is transferring assets from SVB and I think Signature to receivership. So we're taking credit out, out of the government or out of the banking system. But still, even if all of that $300 billion was that, which it's not, but even if it was, we're not getting any return in credit. Because that's a bigger a major point to make too. It's not all about declining numbers. It's also about the lack of positive numbers. If banks sit here and do nothing, they're not cutting back on loans, they don't sell securities, they just, they just do nothing. That's a major contraction because they're not extending new loans, nor are they likely rolling over old ones. If they just sit there and do nothing, that's already a bad scenario. So that's what we see. Bank credit fell largely because banks are still selling securities, not a huge amount. But the amount of security, the, the balance of securities fell by $29.5 billion after rising $29 billion the week before. Since March 15th, down $184 billion. Loans and leases, this is what I'm talking about. Loans and leases dropped precipitously the last two weeks in March, and then they've only come back a tiny bit in the first two weeks of April, by $10 billion in the first week and $13.8 billion in the second week. So, yeah, banks... They, they cut back on loans in March, and now they're just sitting there, which is consistent with what Bloomberg is trying to tell us. And it's really commercial real estate loans where banks are starting to cut back on everything. They actually are cutting back on commercial real estate loans, which is sort of the gist behind the Bloomberg article. Um, in commercial real estate loans, total, I mean, the week of March 22nd, they fell by 25 billion. The week of March 29 by almost 10 billion. And then over the first two weeks in uh, in um, April, they, they they rose 234 million. So really, basically nothing. The first week in April, then fell by 430 million the the week after that. So 
Banks, as far as commercial real estate is concerned, they cut back and now they're just sitting there, not really willing to extend anymore. Um, they're still in crisis mode, most of them. Cash balance fell by 51.8 billion in the second week in April after falling 66 billion. So some banks are paying back the borrowings that they, the emergency borrowings that they borrowed from whatever sources. Uh, but most are continuing to hold a major cash cushion. Since March 15th, the cash at banks is still $403 billion higher than it was. Huge, huge amount there. The reason why, deposits continue to flow out. The week of the second week of April, deposits declined by 76.2 billion. After rebounding only 60.7 billion the first week in April, going back uh, the last, I mean, since March 15th, deposits are down by 251.9 billion, which is a quarter of a trillion. And that's on top of the 170.5 billion deposit flight the week of March 15th. So altogether you've got, since all of this stuff happened, deposits are down by 422.4 billion, which banks have tried to make up for that by borrowing from various sources, including the Fed, FHLBs, wherever they can find money. And if you're left to borrow in emergency capacity, you're not gonna be doing the types of credit and money extension that we need in order for the economy to continue. Which leads us back to Bloomberg, Bloomberg's article from Friday. We were already debating a hard landing before SVB happened, said Torsten Slock, chief economist at Apollo Global Management. If credit conditions continue to tighten because banks need time to be in a position where they can give loans and operate, that increases the risk of a harder landing, even more so than we thought before. To economists like Torsten or those at the Federal Reserve, it still is an if. But as I said before, everything continues to happen in exactly the way the markets had told us it would. So the if here isn't if, it really is when. Remember, when, markets inver when the curve's inverted, they all said, no, that's nothing. Well, we only look at this one part of the curve. And then when that one part of the curve inverted, it said, no, we're not gonna pay attention to that. Look at the unemployment rate. The unemployment rate tells us there'll never be a recession. Now they say, well, yeah, there will be a recession, but it's only gonna be a mild one. And it only the only chance it doesn't, it gets to be worse than a mild one is if we do have a credit crunch, which the markets are saying, we're gonna have a credit crunch. The mainstream is being pulled dragged, kicking and screaming to the place where markets told us it was going to be. And now we can continue to see the data. We can even, we even get stories in Bloomberg that tell us it's continuing to, March was, the banking crisis was not done in March. It was not a one-off, just like 2008. It's an incremental process that is still playing out in just the way we were warned. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you to Eurodollar University members as well as our research subscribers. And until next time, take care.